right, well, I have a confession to make. Some of you who know me, uh, this won't surprise you. Some of you who don't know me, this might surprise you. Um, my entire life, I have been missing a key piece to the puzzle, all right? There was something that was missing in my life that was keeping me from reaching my full potential. There was something that was missing in my life that was keeping me from being a man. And I'm talking about not just a man. I'm talking about a man's man, all right? I'm talking about God's man. There was something in my life that was clearly a detriment because not having done this one thing, I was not a man because of it. Literally, I've had multiple men in our church come up to me and say, I can't believe you've never done this. You just, you can't be, you're not a man until you do this. And so, church family, I want you to know today as I stand before you that I know what it means to be an oak. I know what it means to be your huckleberry. (laughs) This weekend I saw Tombstone for the first time in my life. Okay? And thank you so much. Woo, yay, whoa. I'm a man now. I'm a real boy. We made it. This is a movie that came out in 1993. I was watching Power Rangers when this thing came out. Somewhere along the way, I missed it. But this weekend, I saw Tombstone. And now I realize the hype was real. This movie's incredible. I was blind, but now I see. I'm so glad I can be a man with the rest of you now. I can't wait to see what we do in this club. I'm looking forward to it. Today, today we focus on a man who was actually blind, who had no physical sight, who received physical sight in Jesus. We are focusing on a man who was spiritually blind, who received spiritual sight in Jesus. No way he could have seen Tombstone, not because he was blind, because they didn't have movies back then. But he was blind, and because of Jesus, he saw regardless. So when we dive into John 9 this morning, we are going to be in John chapter 9. We are continuing in our encounter series with Jesus, multiple encounters that Jesus had with other people on the way to the cross and on the way to the resurrection. Today we're in John 9, and we see this miracle of Jesus coming across a man born blind. And we see that there's some spit on the ground, some mud pies on his eyes, that he receives sight, but What we don't see is that this is in direct relationship with what he just taught in John chapter 8. Sometimes we can get so caught up in the mission or in in the miracle that we completely miss what Jesus is teaching that the miracle is an illustration of. So we're in John 9 today, but really for this to make sense, we have to go to John chapter 8 verse 12 where Jesus says, I am the light of the world. He says this at the festival of shelters. There are pillars of fire blazing. This is huge Jewish, Jewish celebration. And under these pillars, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Certainly that was an illustration, but now Jesus takes this illustration into a miraculous realm. He proves that he has the ability to give light to the world. When he takes a man born blind and he gives him sight, he removes the darkness from his physical life by curing his blindness. 
And after that, he removes the darkness from his spiritual life, and he gives him spiritual sight. So we start off this morning at the encounter, at the miracle. John chapter 9, verses 1 through 7. As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is still day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said this thing, these things, he spit on the ground. He made mud with a saliva. Now this is weird, Jesus. Surely this was not taught in rabbi school, okay? This is not how anyone would go about healing. Let me spit on the ground. Let me make some mud pies. And then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. What we can take out of this, what we can ask the question of in this, is the same question that we see the disciples asking. And that is, why was this man born blind? Why is this bad thing of blindness present in this man's life? Was it his fault? Was it his parents' fault? And what does Jesus do? He addresses it just like Jesus always does. You see, this way of thinking is a legalistic way of thinking. And so as a church, let me address this way of thinking just as Jesus addressed the disciples. That is, don't get legalistic. Don't get legalistic in the way that we think about the situations and the circumstances that we come up against. Was it his fault or was it his parents' fault? Jesus says it was neither of their faults. You see, when we have a legalistic mindset, just as we learned about in Galatians, we can think that we can earn God's favor, God's blessing through doing good deeds, through doing good works. So surely, if this man had good deeds, if he had good works, then he wouldn't be born blind. Or maybe it's not his fault, Jesus. Maybe it's his parents' fault. Is it their fault? Did they not have enough good deeds that he would not be born with sight? And that same line of thinking goes the opposite way. And that is, if I do something bad, then God will cause something bad to happen to me. And I want you to know that this legalistic form of thinking is something that Jesus was out to defeat from the very beginning. This legalistic way of thinking takes the relationship out of what we have with God away completely. We don't work to earn our salvation. Our salvation was earned for us, and I'll say it until I die. We live our lives out of that salvation. We have works and fruit that are bared in our lives out of that salvation, never for that salvation. So do not get caught up in legalistic ways of thinking. Let Jesus crush that in your life just as he is crushing it here in the lives of the disciples. Now, is sin the ultimate reason why this man was born blind? Yes. There was a fall in the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve ate the forbidden fruit, and because of that, sin entered into the world. And birth defects and the sin that entered into the world and things not being perfect, but the world being in a fallen state, this man's blindness was a part of that. That's a very general picture. But his blindness was neither his parents' fault nor his fault. 
But why was he blind? Verses 3 through 5, we have the answer. Why did God allow this to happen? God allowed this to happen for his glory. God allowed it so that he could use it. From the very beginning of time, God knew that this man would need to be born blind so that when Jesus came into contact with him, everything that he just said in John 8, 12 at the Festival of Shelters, he can now bring to life through this man's life and his physical brokenness. What Jesus is illustrating is that not only is this man physically blind, but that we are spiritually blind and that he is the light of the world. I think this also shows us that we need to completely shift the way that we see trials in our lives. When I go through trials, I don't know about you, I want to shortcut through them as fast as I can. I want that trial to be over immediately. What I don't realize is that God is at work doing something in me that I need to learn. There is some kind of patience and forbearance that I need to have in this trial because God is working something out. And if I'm just a shortcut to the very end of it, then I'm going to skip every lesson that God has for me along the way. But it's not just about us, is it? God's not just letting us go through these trials for our own sakes. He's doing it for the sake of the people around us. You see, when we go through trials, people around us, they take note of it, and they start to look at us. And when they look at us, and they see that, hey, this person, they say that they follow Jesus. Let's see how they deal with this difficult time in their life. Well, then our trials aren't just about us. Now we are also going through these trials for the sake of other people. And maybe the trial that you're going through right now is to help somebody else that will go through in the future. Maybe the trial that you're going through right now is what breaks somebody and shows them their spiritual blindness. It's something that breaks somebody and shows them their need for Jesus. And so when it comes to trials, let us flip the script in our minds and not just try to get through them as fast as we can and live lives of comfort and leisure But let's ask the question, God, what is your bigger purpose in this suffering? What are you at work in me? What are you trying to show me? And what are you doing in my life that needs to be displayed in others' lives? God, this isn't about my pain. This isn't about my suffering, but this is about your glory. God, how do you get the most glory out of this? Then we see there is an encounter. There is the miracle. Then we have the reaction, John 9, 8 through 12. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, is this not the man who, was, who used to sit and beg? Some said, it is he. Others said, no, but he is like him. He kept saying, I am the man. So they said to him, then how were your eyes opened? He answered, the man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. They said to him, where is he? He said, I do not know. When we truly encounter Jesus, we are changed by Jesus. Just as every encounter we see of somebody in the Gospels, that Jesus comes into contact with, when they have a true encounter with Jesus, when they see Jesus for who he really is, their lives are changed. There was a point when I was a young man, between a fight between my mom and my stepdad, 
where I experienced Jesus for who he really was. And in that moment, I gave my life to Jesus. I didn't know fully what that meant. It wasn't until a couple years later I would realize, Jesus, I'm glad I gave my life to you because, man, I'm the biggest sinner in the whole wide world. But we encounter Jesus. We are changed by Jesus. There was an undescribable, I believe the word is indescribable, there was an indescribable change that took place inside of me. And there's an indescribable change that takes place inside of you when you encounter Jesus truly. And it's not something that can be explained, but there is a difference, a supernatural difference that takes place within you when the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of you. I've seen it happen time and time again in this church when the light bulb finally comes on, when the gears finally start clicking together. When you see Jesus for who he really is and you start to operate out of the Spirit, you start to live a life that's not about you, but that's about him. You become you become changed people. So when we truly encounter Jesus, we are changed by Jesus. And when we are changed by Jesus, we are given a testimony. This was a man that was born blind. Everyone knew him. I don't know, maybe his name was Pete. That's blind Pete. Blind Pete sits over on the corner. He's there at that corner every single day. Blind Pete's going to be on that corner because that's the corner that Blind Pete sits on. That's the corner that Blind Pete's friends help Blind Pete go to sit at. That's where Blind Pete's going to be always and forever. Until what? Until Jesus. It's quite the change that takes place. No one in the history of the universe has ever received sight from the healing of another man. He encountered Jesus. What did he do with this testimony? He didn't have all the answers. I think that's something we get so caught up in all the time. We know that Jesus is the answer, but we don't know all the answers to the questions to get people there. Look at this guy. Blind Pete. He's just pointing people to Jesus. Where is he from? I don't know. But I can see now. That should be enough for you. It's the same in your life. You have a testimony. Maybe you weren't blind physically, and now you can see, but you were certainly blind spiritually. And now you can see. In Jesus, you are not who you were. In Jesus, you are forgiven. In Jesus, you are made clean. In Jesus, you are no longer an orphan. In Jesus, you are a son. You are a daughter. In Jesus, you are not hopeless, but you are hopeful. In Jesus, you are not without love, but you are loved. In Jesus, you have purpose. You have a mission, and you have a testimony. So let's be like the blind man. Let's point people to Jesus with our testimony. And not get caught up in whether I have the answer or not. Let your life be the answer that they are looking for. Let your life be the difference that they are seeking out in the world. And let it be true life lived in Jesus that they find when they see you. From this point, we have three interrogations over the next part of chapter 9. The first interrogation, the the blind man's neighbors take him before the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day. And we see that Jesus healed this man on the Sabbath. That was a big no-no. And so in verse 16, what is the outcome that the Pharisees absolutely have to conclude when it comes to these interrogations? That is that Jesus is guilty. We have to prove that this man is guilty. Why is he guilty? Because he may have done a miracle, but he did it the wrong way. 
what the Pharisees are saying because they had set up all of these rules around God's law as like a hedge of protection from you ever getting close enough to God's law that you could actually break it yourself. And so when Jesus healed this man on the Sabbath, he did not break their man-made laws, their man-made regulations. No, what he, well, he did break those. No, he definitely broke those big time. Those are all over the place. He did not break God's law itself. He broke what the Pharisees had built up around it. And so the Pharisees have a problem with this because the Pharisees are saying that our rules mean more than people. And when Jesus breaks all of their man-made rules and still adheres to the law, because we know Jesus without sin, he lived by and fulfilled every law, every prophet. And Jesus healed this man. Jesus is saying people mean so much more than your made-up rules and your made-up regulations and your religious ways ever could. Stop getting caught up in your religion. Stop just being thoughtless about people and start caring. Jesus is after the heart, and Jesus is always after the heart. There's a man in our congregation, his name is David. David, I told I, I was going to steal this quote from you, and that's exactly what I'm about to do. Are you ready? David shared this quote with me a couple weeks ago, and it is, there's a time to do what's right, and there is a time to do the right thing. Jesus broke these man-made, made-up laws around the law, but to keep people safe from it. He broke that so that he could do the right thing for this man born blind. And the religious leaders, the Pharisees, absolutely have a problem with it. They ask the man, who is Jesus? The once blind man said, a prophet from God. Clearly, he has to be able to do this in me. The Pharisees, they don't like that answer. Because that answer means that they're going to have to change an awful lot. So what do they do? They call for his parents. And the new goal is to disprove the miracle. So they bring in the parents. The Pharisees say, has your son always been blind? They say, yeah. As far as we know, since he's been born, he has been blind. The Pharisees, the Pharisees say, we don't know how he can see, but he can and his parents, what do they say? And I think, I think his parents, they're a little bit dry humor. They're pretty witty. They probably had a lot of sarcasm. I think they say, well, he's a fully grown man. Why don't you go ask him yourself? Well, the Pharisees did just ask him themselves, and they didn't like that answer. So they move on. What we see from this is that there will always be doubters. There will always be doubters when it comes to our testimonies. There will always be direct opposition to what God is doing in our lives. I think there are a lot of reasons. There are a lot of angles. There are a lot of approaches to people's doubts, to their disbelief. But I think specifically for the Pharisees here, they are doubting. They are in disbelief because if this is real, then they have to change. I think a lot of people that we come into contact with, that you share the gospel with, that you live out the gospel physically around them, that you love, that you serve, they have a problem with your Jesus because if what you say is true, that means they have to change the ways that they are living. 
the Pharisees didn't want to admit that they were wrong. If they admit that they're wrong, they lose power, they lose position, and they will be humiliated. That means that this is the Jesus, this is the Messiah that they've been waiting for, but this is also the man that they've been persecuting the entire time. This cannot be him. So, we see that following Jesus is never a popular thing. It wasn't popular then. It's not popular for us today. And we're not being persecuted like the underground church in China, where if you're found out to be a Christian, it is most likely your life and the life of your family. But today, in the American church, there is persecution. You can be a social outcast. Your network can crumple around you. If you don't have a church to catch you, to pick you up and say, all right, that stinks. I'm sorry that happened. But we're family. We're in this together. Now let's go out. Let's make more friends. Let's bring those friends to Jesus. And things will fall apart. This is why we need community. To circle around each other when times get tough. Third interrogation, John 9, 24 through 34. For the second time they called the man who had been blind and said to him, Give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. He answered, Whether he is a sinner or not, talking about Jesus, I do not know. One thing I do know that though I was blind, now I see. They said to him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I've told you already, and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? Yeah, this guy's got his sarcasm from his parents here. He's throwing it right back at him. Verse 28, and they reviled him, saying, you are his disciple, but we, we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. The man answered, why? This is amazing. You don't know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. And ever since the world began, has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind if this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered him, you were born in utter sin, and you would teach us such pride, such arrogance, and they cast him out of the synagogue. What we see in this third interrogation is that the Pharisees are stuck. They can't say that the miracle didn't happen. They can't say that Jesus is God, because if Jesus is God, then that makes them hypocrites. And so what is their solution? Their solution is to destroy Jesus's character. And after further questioning, this man that's born blind turns their words against them. And what happens to him when he makes a stand for Jesus? Persecution. He's excommunicated from the synagogue. He is cut off socially for stating that Jesus must have come from God. What I want you to know this morning is that the work of God that has taken place in you if you find yourself in right relationship with him this morning by the work of Jesus on the cross and trusting in him for the forgiveness of your sin. If that is you, then the work of God in you is irrefutable. What God has done in your life cannot be taken away. What God has delivered you from cannot be taken away. In Christ Jesus, there is no condemnation. But that doesn't mean that we should be surprised 
when we face opposition for Jesus. 1 Peter 4, 12-17 says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trials when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. And I think that's kind of where we are all the time. God, why am I going through this? I live my life for you. I do all of these good things for you. I go to church most of the time. I try to be a good person to my neighbors. I try to serve people. I try to love people. Why is this happening to me? Let's not act like it's strange. Let's not act like this is a surprise. As we are about to read, life in Jesus is not easier. It's harder. It's not more comfortable, but it comes with a whole lot of discomfort. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trials when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice in so far as to share Christ's suffering that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. When trials come your way, when persecution comes your way, when discomfort through an encounter with Jesus comes your way, find joy in it. 1 John 3.13 says it much more simply. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. But this suffering, this suffering is worth it. Romans 8.18, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Remember, life is but the width of a hand, it's but a grain of sand on the beach. We are here now and we will be gone before you ever even realize it the suffering, the discomfort that we endure here leads into an eternity of life and love and the joy of being with Jesus in the presence of God forever. Because in Jesus is full joy. Psalm 16, 11, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Church, endure now. Endure what is coming your way now. Endure what is on the way for us. It's not going to get any easier. I'll promise you that. Persecution, it's only going to get ramped up. The true believers will be revealed within the body. Hold strong. Love Jesus. Cling to Jesus. Take joy in persecution. Take joy in suffering. So, we have the encounter of the miracle. We have the reaction in these three interrogations, and now we have the application. John 9, 35 through 41, Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and having found him, he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, and who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, you have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. Jesus said, for judgment I came into this world, that those who do not see may see, and that those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, Are we also blind? Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say, We see, your guilt remains. What we see in verse 35 here is that Jesus, he had already given this man physical sight. But now Jesus gives him spiritual sight. And in order to receive 
spiritual sight from Jesus, we have to acknowledge our need for Jesus. Our first point this morning, don't worry, not all of that was an intro, okay? We're just about at the end here. First point this morning, chapter 9, verse 39, when we see that we can't see, Jesus gives us sight. When we see that we can't see, Jesus gives us sight. And it is only when we realize how much we need Jesus that we can see his redemptive work show up in our lives. This means that we can't go about our lives thinking that we have it all together, thinking that we don't need Jesus, thinking that we can live good enough lives so that when we die, we can make it to heaven. If I just follow the Ten Commandments, I'll make it to heaven. No, the only way to heaven is through Jesus. He says, I am the way. He does not say, I am a way. That means that our sight, our spiritual sight is solely dependent on him. Which leads into our second point. Verses 39 through 41, if we think that we can see on our own, then we are absolutely blind. If we never realize our need for Jesus, then we will constantly stay searching. We will constantly stay in need. So what is our need for Jesus? Well, Romans breaks it down for us really, really clearly. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That means me. I've fallen short of the glory of God. I have sinned. That means you. You have fallen short of the glory of God. Because of that, what do we earn? Well, Romans 6.23, part A, for the wages of sin is death. What do we earn for the sin in our life? We earn death. What is death here? Death is an eternity in separation from a God who loves us. It's not heaven. It's the opposite of heaven. What does that mean it is? It means it's hell. Because of the sin in our life, we have earned hell. Romans 5.8, but God demonstrates his own love towards us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That means Jesus took the cross knowing everything you would ever do, knowing everything that you've done this morning on the way to church knowing everything that you would do as you leave this place this morning, Jesus knew that and still lovingly chose to take the cross for you because he did not want hell for you. He wanted a right relationship with God, the Father, for you. And so what did he do? Romans 6, 23, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. He took that sin and he died on a cross with it so that we could be forgiven, so that we could inherit his righteousness, so that we could go from adopted to God's children, so that we could be made clean, so that we could receive a purpose, so that we could be put in right relationship with God. How does that take place? Romans 10, 9, and 13. That if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Verse 13 says, for whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. We need to see our need for Jesus. Our need for Jesus is that we are sinful, broken, miserable people without him. And the only way to the Father is through relationship with Jesus, through repentance of our sin, through faith, by living in grace, trusting in him for our forgiveness and making him Lord and Master of our life that we follow after him. Let's pray.
Jesus, would you give us spiritual sight today, just as you gave the man born blind physical sight and then spiritual sight. Jesus, would you show us our need for you? Jesus, would you identify in our lives to us right now as we go into a time of worship and a time of response? Would you show us exactly where it is that we are blind? Would you show us exactly what it is that we need to give over to you? Would you open our eyes to our need for you? Some of us for the first time. Some of us, we've grown tired of trials, grown tired of the persecution, and we've started to close our eyes. Would you open them back up? Would you cause the scales to fall off of them? Would you encounter us this morning anew? Refresh us, Jesus, in our relationship with you. Help us to revisit our need for you. Jesus, we thank you that we do have sight through you, through the cross. And if there's anyone in here this morning that has not entered into relationship with you, Jesus, I pray that you would call them into that this morning. And if that's you this morning and that's the response that you are being called into by Jesus to follow him in relationship, we ask that you would fill that out on your Connect card, that you would let us know so we can walk alongside you, help you figure out what that looks like. But for the rest of us who have started to close our eyes, who started to become blind after you've opened them, Jesus, would you open them back up? Would you continue to show us our need for you? Would you continue to help us as we fall in love with you? We worship you now, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.